Lord. So, really, Isaiah chapter 60 is... Everything, for me, recently is themed around this chapter. You know, it, it probably doesn't help that I spend a lot of time listening to it. As I said, I've got a YouTube video and loop all the time with this. Uh, and it's a great one. You can get it yourself. It's got background music and New King James. Um, but I just feel the Lord, and, and I will remind you, I think I said this last week, I'm not, you know, advocating Isaiah 60 on my own here. Lots of people... Peter Wagner wrote a book about the great end time transfer of wealth, which is in this passage. And Bill Johnson, Isaiah chapter 60 is a big thing for him. And it formulates his thinking as, as his message, which is heaven invading earth, and so on. And also, um, Stevie tells me that Ian Clayton has shared that his thoughts are that Isaiah chapter 60 is for Scotland. Okay, so Isaiah chapter 60 is, is really going to be where we're looking at a lot of stuff. It's going to be a launching pad for us probably in the next uh, few meetings of the gathering at least. So I just want to recap a couple of things we looked at last week. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of Yahweh is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But Yahweh will arise over you. Now, darkness is where we're at. That's what we're living in. Pandemics, wars, uh, famine or shortages or scarcity, whatever you call it. We're talking the four horsemen. You know, the first horseman was a pandemic, a plague. The second horseman was wars and people being killed in battle. The third horseman in Revelation was famine, scarcity, uh, high food prices. We're already there. And what's the fourth horseman? Death. So death, the four horsemen are riding the earth right now. Not just here in Britain, not just here in Scotland, but across the planet, across the globe. Uh, and unless you're a flat earther, so we'll just say across the earth. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. But it's, it's, these are times of great darkness. There's darkness happening, deep darkness upon the people and so, it says here, arise, shine, for your light's come. Uh, the Lord will arise over you. Now, I shared this in a recent message, so I'm just going to very quickly recap it, because it's so important to understand this. The Lord wants me, I believe, to emphasize this, is that a parallel passage to this, all the blessings of Psalm, sorry, of Isaiah chapter 60, if you flip over to Psalm 112, you'll see it's, it's a parallel passage. Okay, it says here, Psalm 112, Praise Yahweh, bless is a man who fears Yahweh, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty in earth, the generation of the upright will be blessed. There's a promise right there for your children, your grandchildren. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Verse 4, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. That's what it says in Isaiah 60, doesn't it? Arise shine your light has come and then in psalm 112 it says to the upright to the blessed man to the godly man or woman of course there arises light in the darkness so you're here your purpose your destiny includes being here to be a light in the darkness and you will not be in darkness you will be in light because the light will shine the glory of god will be seen upon you 
And notice here, wealth and riches will be in his house. It says the same in Isaiah chapter 60. The wealth and ages will come to you. We're going to look at that. But what I wanted to just, you say, well, how, how does this work then? How do, we, how do we function in all these blessings of Isaiah chapter 60? We're going to look at that today in detail. But just for a kickoff, just, I just felt wanted to share this. It says here, the blessed man, blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who delights greatly in his commandments. Folks, you're not going to walk in all the blessings of Psalm 112 and of Isaiah 60 if you don't delight in the word. I believe that that's the basic foundational thing. You know, what God said to Joshua, uh, you need to meditate in this day and night. Now, we need to make that choice. If, you know, if we want success, because that's what it says, but uh, meditate in the word day and night, then you will have good success. You'll prosper, you'll have good success. If we want that in our lives, are we going to get it by watching EastEnders and, you know, reading the People's Friend? I know, <laughs> do they still have the People's Friend? In other words, reading a bunch of nonsense. I don't think so. I don't think that you can have the blessings of Scripture, Isaiah 60, and we'll look at some of them. Psalm 112, your descendants are mighty, you'll... You, you know, you, 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 you'll prosper. You're not going to have them out with or without a love for God's Word. So we need to be meditating in the Word. Meditating doesn't mean sitting going, mm, emptying your mind, you know. Uh, it's not, Bible meditation is not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind. But to fill your mind, you have to fill your mouth. You have to fill... You, uh, you have to speak the word. Bible meditation simply means muttering, meditating, speaking uh, the word of God. It means don't let the word depart from your mouth. So that's just ABC. Um, and, and it's so important for us to get. But I, I want to just press on and go to where the Lord wants us to go today. The nations shall come to your light, verse 3, and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's what that's what David saw. That's what he saw in his vision. Yeah, people coming, just people. And it wasn't just for this church. It was for other churches who were, we would call them remnant churches or churches that were aligned with what God is doing here and now. Not aligned with what God was doing 50 years ago or 150 years ago, but what God is doing now and there. Okay, now the Lord's pulled me back, and I, I, want to, I want to say this. I shared this other night at Bible College, uh, so I've got to beat myself up again a wee bit here. I was saying about meditate the word day and night and be serious about the things of God. Okay? Now I, and I shared this, on Wednesday night I had a Zoom meeting planned that I was going to be attending, not my Zoom meetings, another man's, a wonderful, wonderful uh, teacher. And it's a weekly thing, so, uh, but I can do it and catch up, because he records it, and I can catch up with it. And sometimes that suits you better because, um, you know, you, you can pause it and stuff like that. But I, I thought, I'm going to do the, the, the Zoom meeting. But of course, something vitally important happened on Wednesday night, which was the, the Europa League final. So I said, you know, I'll just watch the game, I'll catch up. I'm sitting watching this game and, and, you know, 
I'm, I'm a, a Rangers supporter through and through. You know, I am. Um, support God's team. You know, it's part and parcel of being a Christian, isn't it? As I'm watching the game, with absolute clarity, it struck me that win, lose, well, you couldn't draw, but win or lose this game, I had made the wrong choice to watch the game. Because I'd recorded the game anyway. I could have watched it after my Zoom meeting, all that. I just suddenly felt, you know, I, 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 I preach it. What is your priorities? What are your priorities? Brother, sister. Now, Rangers don't get to many European League finals. And it's not wrong to watch the game. But I was challenged. I was convicted. Because what I'm saying here today is, to walk in these things, to walk in extreme blessing, you have to have an extreme lifestyle. I believe that. I don't believe that you can be casual and flip. And, and it's, not, it's not wrong to cheer on God's team. It's not wrong to watch a football match. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying sometimes our priorities are skewed. It's not just football. It can be other things. It can be, you know, oh, I've got to get my family or I've got to do this. You know, this sort of stuff is addressed in Scripture. So what I'm saying today is, if we want to be extreme in what we're receiving from God, walking in blessings that are unprecedented perhaps in history, we maybe need to be a wee bit more extreme. And I'm not talking about a life of sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice to serve God, is it? It's really not. It's not a sacrifice. Oh, look what I'm giving up for you, Lord, a football match. Look what I'm giving up for you, you know, a, 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 a trip to the Chinese buffet. You know, we have these ideas Oh, you know, I'm suffering for Jesus because I've given something up for the Lord. Amen? Well, there's nothing that you can give up for the Lord that is anywhere near the blessing that he, that he has for us. And that's just a wee side thing. I just wanted... I felt the Lord saying to me to share that because I had to beat myself up again. Amen? Uh, and you say, oh, it's an important game. and everything, But anyway. Here's where we are with this. Um... Let's, let's just read on. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar. Your daughter shall be nursed at your side. That's one of these blessings we're talking about here. And that's harvest. Okay, Isaiah chapter 60, which Bill Johnson will tell you, this is what we're living in or this is what we're supposed to be living in at this point in history. This is a time in history when Isaiah 60 becomes a reality. Okay, now those... Uh, in this place, they would say, as I, as I said to you, all those old photos of the place packed, and you know, I, I've got a picture through in my vestry of the four men that founded this. And one was a guy called Alexander McKee. And I believe after listening to D.L. Moody coming to Glasgow and telling all the pastors in Glasgow, concentrate on the children and the young people, he went out he was a businessman and personally, personally led over 11,000 children to faith in Christ. Now 11,000, that's, that's a football stadium, isn't it? And of course they had branches all throughout Glasgow. Um, but that was, that was back in the, the 1800s. And of course, 
at the peak here, they had the 20,000 children plus adults. So this place knows a wee bit about gathering people in its history. In other words, it knows about harvest. And, and those two men, I don't know, I'm still trying to get my head around that vision that, 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 that this person had. But they represented that to me so far in what the Lord showed me. They represented that this place was a place of harvest, as were many others. As were many others. Okay? And it's amazing about people that come here, not just George, but others. Mr. Lawson worships here and plays for us now. And he gets saved over there. So many people come. I've got a Church of Scotland minister friend. His family used to come here. The legacy, the history. We're not here to talk about that, but we're here to talk about harvest. We're here to talk about saying that in our history, in Glasgow, in Scotland, in Britain, we've, we've had harvests, we've had revivals, we've had awakenings. We were at the preaching braze a few months ago, where George Whitfield preached to thousands. And these things should inspire us. It says here, they all gather, they come to you. You could say that some churches have already manifested and walked in this. But it's our responsibility in our generation at this point in history to say that we want to see these things again. Sons and daughters speaks about people being born again, people that, that, you, that you'll give birth to children in this generation. And, and that they'll come from afar. You know, in this very area, there's loads of people coming from all kinds of nations and lands. So, and Glasgow's like that now, isn't it? Most places are. It's not just, you know, Joke Tamsin's Bairns that you grew up with and, you know, people from other countries. Or they, you had used to have that exotic image of people. Well, folks, Glasgow and other cities and other towns in Scotland, they're not like that anymore. You know, it's multinational, um, cosmopolitan, and a lot of it is because Isaiah chapter 60. A lot of people moan about immigration. Oh, immigration is a terrible thing. Folks, these people are only here for one reason, to hear the gospel, to get saved. And some of them maybe take it back to their lands, and some of them come in here because we took it to their land and they're bringing it back. Uh, people have said to me, uh, people from black churches that, that I've met here, oh, uh, we honour Britain because without Britain we wouldn't have known the gospel, so we're bringing it back. And that's a nice thing. But look at this, this is what I want to get into here. These are all good things to talk about. It says, verse 5, this is where I want us to zero in. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. And this is a bit here. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. That little phrase, the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of a nation shall come to you. We can't talk about Isaiah 60 without talking about wealth transfer. I.e. the wealth of the world system and economy is going to be turned towards the people of God. Uh, the great end-time wealth transfer, Peter Wagner wrote a book about it. Loads of people preach about it. I preach about it a great deal. The great end-time wealth transfer. The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. What is he talking about? Let's tackle that little phrase first, the abundance of the sea. What does he mean by this? 
Well, I, I'm saying to you, he means the abundance of the economy, the world system, everything that's out there. Everything that's in the world system that represents wealth, that represents um, business, commerce, finance, uh, property, land, assets, precious jewels, all of these things. He says the abundance of all that is going to be turned to you. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 17 and I'll show you this. Keep your finger on Isaiah 6, we'll be coming back there. But Revelation 17, watch this folks. And this is not pleasant reading. You say, well, how can you say that about the Bible? Listen, I've preached this chapter many, many times, and it's never pleasant reading. You know, there are things in the Word of God that aren't pleasant reading. Did you know that? Because they're meant to shake us up. Uh, we might get to Ananias and Sapphira today, and that's not pleasant reading, is it? Imagine coming into church and getting struck down by the Holy Spirit for every lie that you told. I think very few of us would survive. Amen. Anyway, Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. This is John, of course, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. The great harlot, this principality, this power, that has enormous influence and sway over the nations and over the peoples of the earth, sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication, and on her forehead a name was written. And of course it's Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her I marveled with great amazement. Folks, this principality, this power, this... Uh, high-ranking spirit of the kingdom of darkness is after the blood of the saints which means she's after the life of the saints because the life of the flesh is in the blood she's after or it is after whatever you want to call it it's after the blood of christians it wants to do, it wants to get into the very root of our lives and destroy our lives okay and it's not pleasant reading but look what it says in verse 15, because you say, what does it mean that she sits on many waters? People have asked that, but the Bible answers it. It says, uh, these are of, hold on, yeah. Then he said to me, verse 15, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Uh, scholars will tell you many waters, it really means the sea. It means the conversion of waters. We would call it the sea, many waters. This great harlot sits on the sea, the sea of humanity. The many waters, peoples, nations, uh, multitudes, tongues. They're all represented, and the harlot sits on them all. In other words, 
the system, the beast system, because she rides a scarlet-coloured beast, that system sits up atop the world's economy or the world system, okay? And that's, that's what uh, Babylon is. But then the next chapter speaks about the fall of Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great has fallen, has fallen. Mystery Babylon has fallen, of course. And he says, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Come out of the system. Don't be Babylonian in your thinking. Don't be Babylonian in any, in any way. Come out of her, my people. I believe that's speaking to Christians, but I also believe it's speaking to sheep nations, yeah? Nations that identify as godly Christian nations. There aren't that many left, if there are any. But you see, a nation is determined not by who sits in, on its throne or who sits in the presidential office or number 10 Downing Street or Butte House. A nation is determined by the remnant saints of God company in that nation. God will deal with a nation according to his remnant in that nation. God dealt with Israel according to Joshua and Caleb. Now the ten evil spies, or the spies that came with an evil report, and all that listened to them, they perished in the wilderness, but Israel still went into the promised land because Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. So we can say today in Scotland and in Britain, because we have a different spirit from that which is out there, that we are taking Scotland and Britain where God wants it to go, where the kingdom of God determines, not where Boris Johnson and Nicola Sturgeon and others determine. Or Joe Biden in America, Sleepy Joe. Babylon's going to fall. And it says the world mourns Babylon's fall, the kings of the earth who committed fornication. This is Revelation 18. And live luxuriously with her, but weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, a mighty city, in one hour your judgment has come. What, what are we saying here? Babylon's going to fall. Okay? All that wealth that the billionaires own, that the Babylonian merchants own, all that wealth is going to be stripped from them. It's not that God's going to destroy wealth. Because all the gold and silver will still be here. All the property will still be here. All the precious jewels. Maybe a lot of the actual cash. All of it. it it's not that that's just destroyed. So why are they weeping then if it's not destroyed? There's a reason why they're weeping. It's because it's been transferred from their hands to God's people. That's what it tells us in Isaiah 60. So when you're reading... Revelation 18, you should be reading it alongside Isaiah 60 because it tells us here the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. This is speaking to Zion, to God's people, to you and I, folks. The abundance of the sea will be turned to you. In other words, all that wealth that Babylon controls and owns, that, that all these billionaires, the Bill Gates, the Bezos, all these guys that they own, Elon Musk, all these people, the control, the influence, the power, and the wealth is all going to be stripped from them and handed to people who will do something with it that doesn't involve death, destruction, and all the other stuff that these guys perpetrate in there. It's not going to be in the hands of one man or two or a handful of men. It's going to be where it should be because God has a heart for the poor. 
is going to be where it should be because rather than endless internet, porn and media pumping out filth, depravity, death, all of that, and propaganda, Christians will be able to buy media stations and put out the gospel. So imagine being able to get, if, if all of us in this room to clubbed our money together, we'd enough, and we could walk down, fly down <laughs> to Sky headquarters, whoever that is, and say, we're buying this media outlet from you folks. Ah, you don't have enough money. Oh, we, we don't worry about the money. Name your price. Or you couldn't pay it. Just name it. Ah, that's fine. There you go. There's your check. And dismantling all that programming schedule and saying, right, where can we put Kenneth Copeland? Where can we put, uh, you know, Bill McMurdo, Alec Gillis? Where on the schedule can we put these guys? Because that's what all we're going to be doing now. There's not going to be any more filth, sex, smut, all that. Because we own the media channel and buying them all up. That's just one, that's just one of the seven mountains. You see, that's what God's intention is. And he tells us that in Isaiah chapter 60, that the abundance of the economy is going to be turned towards the people of God. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. And I, and I ought to point out uh, that that word wealth doesn't just mean, it's the Hebrew word kyle, doesn't just mean, but it does mean money, riches, silver, gold, all of that. But it, it also means people, multitudes will come. That's what it says in the whole chapter. Your sons and daughters will come. Men will bring you the wealth of the, 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 the nations. The sons will come from afar, their silver and their gold with them. You see, to God, people are more valuable than money. And they should be to you and I. But this is talking about the tide turning in the favour of Zion, the people of God. I don't know if I can believe that well. Let me just say this, if you live in Isaiah chapter 60, you will. Because if you live in Isaiah chapter 60 enough, Isaiah chapter 60 will start to live in you. Okay, so we need to read this over and over. But here's how, you say, well, how is this going to happen? How can it be converted to Zion? How can all that wealth be taken from these folks? And handed over to God's people, they're just going to hand it over? Well, I, I don't know about that. Probably, but what I want to show you is God's done this in history before. And that's what we're going to look at in the time we've got left. Exodus chapter 3. Now, Exodus chapter 3 is a famous passage, um, and we get all excited because it's about the burning bush, and, you know, uh, the bush that wouldn't be consumed by fire. Exciting stuff, but I want to show you something about this. Moses at the burning bush. God reveals himself, tells him who he is, gives him the divine name. Uh, we would call him Yahweh. I am that I am. But look at the last few verses of Exodus chapter 3 and see what God says to Moses is going to happen when Moses begins his ministry proper. Look what he says. Verse 20 says, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt 
with all my wonders which I will do in its midst. And after that, he being Pharaoh will let you go. And I will give this people, in other words, the children of Israel, I will give this people favor. Favor in the sight of the Egyptians. My message today, folks, it's on my heart, is what the favor of God will do for you and I and for an Isaiah 60 generation. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. When you leave Egypt, you're not going to go skint. You're not going to leave skint. You're not going to go empty-handed. He says, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, in other words, the Egyptians, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So before you go ask your neighbor, your rich Egyptian neighbor, can I have your gold, can I have your jewelry, can I have your silver? See that nice necklace, that pendant that you wear, that you got at, uh, is it Tiffany's, whatever? Can I have that? And God says, she'll give you it. Look what he says in verse, at the very end. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Oh, that's not nice, Lord. That's not very nice. You want us to plunder our unsaved neighbors. Yet our uncovenanted neighbors, the Egyptians. Well, he says, that's what you're going to do. You'll plunder them. Okay? In other words, there'll be wealth transfer. They're going to give their wealth to you, and so you shall plunder him. What made that happen? Favor. See, we think the favor of God is, you know, God giving us uh, an icy parking space every time we go out, or everybody being nice to us. That's the favor of God. Everybody has to be nice to me because the favor of God is in my life. Well, it includes that. Of course it does. But look what else it includes. So Exodus chapter 11, let's just read again. Verses 1 to 3, this is after, this is, uh, sorry, before the plague of the firstborn. Now, here's the thing. It took the plague of the firstborn for this to happen. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. Go and ask your Egyptian unsaved neighbor for her jewelry, for her precious jewelry. He didn't, he didn't say ask them for all the other stuff. He did say clothing, but he says articles of silver. In other words, get the precious stuff from the Egyptians. Amen. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Now here's the thing. They think maybe that they're borrowing it. But God knew what was going to happen to the Egyptians. That they, might, they might have borrowed it. But their debt was drowned in the Red Sea. Wasn't it? Because when the Egyptians came after them, they were drowned in the sea. So 
How many, how many know that if you, the guy you owe money, he dies, you don't owe money anymore? The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And watch this. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. Well, what's he saying here? He's saying this, that they had favor that when they asked people, oh yeah, sure, yeah, here's, here's my jewelry. Here's my precious articles of silver and gold. But part of their thinking was, I'm, I'm scared of that man Moses. Look what he's brought upon us. Look at the plagues. You know, you Stevie preached this quite recently. The fear of the Lord. When the fear of the Lord is on people, they react differently, they do differently because they're scared of the Lord. And it says Moses, they were afraid of this man Moses, the prophet. And this is before, this is before the final plague, which we know as the angel of death and the, the death of the firstborn. And then finally in Exodus chapter 12, so Moses was feared. Here's what I want to show you. The, the, the favor of the Lord and the fear of the Lord are connected. So Moses chapter 12. Sorry, Exodus chapter 12. And it says here, verse 35. This is after the firstborn. Uh, sorry, it's still... Um, it's after the firstborn, uh, the plague of the firstborn, okay? Verse 35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favour in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. See, God had it in mind. My children are going to get all the, all the gold and all the silver and all the wealth and they're not going to have to pay it back. You can borrow, but if you don't have to pay back, then you've plundered that person. I mean, a lot of people live their lives like that, don't they? And it's not a good way to live, I'm not suggesting that. But God knew that these people were going to be plundered and he gave them favour and what happened was the abundance of Egypt was given to the children of Israel. And they walked out of Egypt with that wealth. The abundance of the sea of the people of Israel had come to the children of Israel. And they, were pl and they plundered the Egyptians. What made it happen? Well, there was a bit of the fear of the Lord involved, of course. But God actually used favour as a weapon to plunder the Egyptians. And that's what Isaiah chapter 6, how's all that abundance of the economy going to be, going to be converted, turned to us? Favour is the answer. Okay, the favour of God. God's saying, you know, all that money, all that wealth that's in the earth should not be in the hands of wicked people. It should be in the hands of righteous people because what they do with it, they will no longer oppress the poor. They will no longer plunder the poor, but they will be plundered because they plundered the poor. Amen? Because God wants righteousness and justice. God's heart is for the poor or for the oppressed, for the fatherless, for the widow, for people who struggle in life. 
And folks were coming into that time in history where the four horsemen are riding the earth. We've had pandemics. We've had uh, war. We've, um, they're now talking about another pandemic, potentially. Monkeypox. Uh, all these things are now in the earth. Wars and rumours of wars. You know, I don't know how many times I've preached it, wherever I've preached. You know, at any moment now, you could be, we could be looked. That's not fear-mongering, and it's not being sensationalist. It's a real threat in the natural. And then, of course, you've got famine. We're, you know, before we came this morning, we're in the supermarket, and even the, the people on the tills were talking about how the prices are shooting up. Have you noticed that in your gas and electricity bill? I don't know why. Doubled in price. More than doubled in price. These things are real, and, and of course the fourth horseman is death, because all these things are unsustainable. So God has to have an answer to what's going on in the earth, and his answer is Isaiah chapter 60, and I believe quite imminent, the fall of Babylon. I've been preaching the fall of Babylon for, for years, and people look at you like, how's that going to happen? You know, everything's fine. But it's not fine now. Because people are starting to, to feel the darkness and sense and, 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 and be part of the darkness is, is, is creeping in. But God's answer, folks, is Isaiah chapter 60. What's, what's the difference going to be? The game changer, favour. Just in the short time we've got left, just look at... Uh, Look at uh, Acts chapter 2. So I want to show you something in there. Acts chapter 2. And this is the days of the early church. Now the days of the early church were wonderful because it tells us that nobody lacked anything. There was no lack. Because they were all blessed. But here in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we'll just read into it a little bit. It says, uh, let's just read from, um, watch this. They continue, verse 42, they continued steadfastly, this is the believers, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. There is, there's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is always present when God is moving, am I right? You know, we've preached it many a time here, and, and as I said, Stevie, you've spoken recently about the fear of the Lord and how it makes a difference. When the fear of the Lord came upon the community in Lewis or, the, or, or in Wales in those revivals, the fear of the Lord came, people cried out. I was speaking about the man that I knew who I believe he wasn't even in a church. In fact, he was doing his best to avoid churches. A, 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 a hard-hearted young man, a rough young guy, as in, you know, didn't want anything to do with the things of God, and they were having revival on the Isle of, of Lewis. And he's, I think, I believe, I'm right in saying he was stolen home from the pub, drunk, and arrested at the side of the road. Not, in a, not here in the gospel, but God arrested him. And of course, the rest of history became a man of God. I was privileged to know him. But what happened? The fear of the Lord happened. The fear came upon every soul, it says. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. When you have the fear of the Lord, you have the miracles. 
Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need saying, uh, you're not living right, brother. We need, we need to sell some stuff and bring you up so that you don't have poverty in, in your life anymore. But look at this. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, having chops from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Watch this. Praising God and having favour with all the people. Praising God and having favour with all the people. God can give us favour with all the people. He gave Israel favour with all the Egyptians, so much so that the Egyptians said, Oh, you're leaving. Here's all my jewellery. That'll keep you going wherever you go. Who'd like that kind of favour? Who'd like the kind of favour that you went home today and your, your neighbour has got a, a brand new car and he says, I just feel I need to give you this car. I'm up for that type of favour. Amen. In fact, you live in a much smaller house than me. You've got a bigger family. I'm going to swap houses. You live in my big house and I'll live in your wee house. That's favour. Oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous favour. I'm believing God for ridiculous, outrageous favour. Not just so we can have more stuff, brothers and sisters, but because that is... It tells us these people here in Acts, they turned the world upside down. What it really means is, they turned the world the way it should be. Where if you're of Zion and a people of God, then you're the one that walks in all the blessings and favour, not the rich guy who's uh, selling dope or drugs or as a porn barn. Who wants the porn barns to have all the nice houses and cars and planes when preachers are going broke? Or when the people of God are struggling to get by? Think about it. God blesses the righteous. Okay? So society is going to be turned the right way up. The world's going to be turned upside down again. The abundance of the sea is going to be converted towards God's people. Again, the wealth is going to flow into the temple where it belongs. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts, and it belongs in the temple. Well, you and I are the temple of God. It's not just so that preachers can have faster jets, bigger houses. Um, it's so that every believer can function in the kingdom wealth economy so that we don't need to take the mark of the beast to buy a can of beans in a supermarket. Amen? God wants the wealth of the nations in our hands because he knows that we will use it to fund the kingdom, to further the gospel, to do everything in church that your pastor can't afford to do. Well, we need a new roof. I'll take care of that, pastor. I've got the money for that. God wants generous believers in control of the world's wealth because that's how it's supposed to be, because that's how it's going to be in heaven. When you pray thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There ain't no poor folks in heaven. There's no um, people living from hand to mouth in heaven. We've all got mansions. In my father's house are many mansions. Amen. So it's not about the money, but it's about the glory. Because Isaiah chapter 60 says, His glory shall be seen. Isaiah 60 is all about the glory. We looked at that last week. And in the glory... Is, is wealth transfer and all of these things. 
and the people of God running things as they have done maybe at different times in history. So we're going to close with this. Just very quickly look at Acts chapter 5 and then maybe one more scripture. But Acts chapter 5, very, very quickly. This is about Ananias and Sapphira. We did touch on them and we said, uh, you know, they lied to the Holy Spirit. They, they sold a piece of land, said they'd got X amount, and they'd put that. But they hadn't. They had kept some money. And, and they were allowed to keep the money for themselves, some of it. But they lied about it. And of course, they both dropped dead. Now, watch this, verse 11. Acts 5, verse 11. Look at this. It says here, oh, uh, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. There it is again, the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord, folks. Not just in the church, but upon anybody. That, oh my goodness, did you hear what happened in that church? Two folk dropped dead because they lied to the preacher. No, I'm not going there. But you see, some say, well, I'm never going near there. And others will go, that's where I want to go. Because that's where the power is. And that's what happened. Look at, look at the verses that follow. Look at this, this is weird. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. That was the part of the temple they all met, the Christians. Yet none of the rest dared join them. Watch this. None of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. I'm not getting near them. They've got something going on there. The power of God's there. You get in there wrong, and you, they drag you out with your feet. And you're phoning Joseph Potts. Amen. And getting, and getting measured for a coffin. The people esteemed them highly. And watch this. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So they're scared to join them. They're not going near them. They're, they're terrified. But every day, on, people are joining them. You say, well, is that not a contradiction? It's a paradox. That when the fear of God comes, there are going to be some folks say, oh, oh, I'm too scared. But, but it draws them, doesn't it? When you're scared to go to church because there's just too much power there, but it draws you, well, I'm scared to go. I don't want to go, but, but it's drawing me. That's what Isaiah 60 is saying. They're going to come because they're going to see that's where the action's at. That's where the abundance of the sea is being turned. That's where the wealth of the nations is going. We need to be among those Christian folks or we're going to be losers in life. Right now people say, I'm not going to that church because they're all religious, holy Joe freaks. They talk about the Bible, Bible thumpers. But in this day of Isaiah 6, they're going to say, oh, you know what, I'm scared to go, but I can't, I can't resist the draw, the pull. And that's what, put it this way, who wants to be on the outside when these guys have got all this thing going on in their lives, the blessing? Amen? Isn't that wonderful? So we're bringing this to a close, folks. He says here, and this is, this is wonderful. This bit's amazing. They brought the sick out into the streets and laid them in beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem bringing sick people and those that were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed. Two folk dropped dead because 
They told a white lie. And people were terrified. But people couldn't resist at that point. They were terrified. But, you know, I've got a sick auntie. And I'm going to be scared going in there. But I know if I bring my sick auntie. Yeah? So what they're really saying here is very simple. Is that the fear of the Lord works with the favour of the Lord and it brings multitudes. That's what Isaiah chapter 60 is saying. He's saying it, he talks about the favour of the Lord in Isaiah 60. Go read it. And it talks about people bowing down to the, the, the people of God in obviously fear. The fear of the Lord and the favour of the Lord work in conjunction and they bring the glory of God and they bring multitudes and the multitudes bring their wealth and the wealth of the nations comes and God's Zion starts to manifest in the earth what is always meant to manifest in the earth which is the glory of God in the midst. And we need to be pressing into that, brothers and sisters. And I'll close with this final scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8. It's all about favour. Everyone's about favour. And of course, favour and the fear of the Lord together. You know, people say, oh, well, uh, is the fear of the Lord emotional? No, it doesn't have. The fear of the Lord is a choice. The fear of the Lord is not, well, I, I feel I'm scared of God today. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is a choice we make to say, Lord, I fear you. I choose to walk. In other words, I... I revere you. I'm, I'm scared. You know, Steve and I have spoken about this a lot and preached it. I've heard him saying it. And it does include the terror of the Lord. Let's not beat about the bush. Oh, it just means that you respect God a great deal. No, it includes the terror. Are you scared of God? I am. But it has to be a healthy fear of the Lord. You can have an unhealthy, satanic fear of the Lord, which is not the same thing. But if you say, well, I don't really feel that, well, folks, you don't need to feel it. You choose it. I choose to fear you, Lord. But I just want to close with a scripture in favor. This is brilliant. Watch this. It says here, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace, which is favor. Oh, so we'll use the word favor. God is able to make all favor abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things, or I think the NIV says that you having all your needs met, who would like to have all their needs met? Always. Amen? Always. Not just some of the time. Not boom and bust. Not, oh, I've had a good week. I'm skint last week. No. Always having all sufficiency in all things. May have an abundance for every good work. In other words, there's so much overflow that you can give to every good preacher, every good ministry, every good church. That you, if you can think of it, you, that the money is manifest there for it. Amen? Not just, well, I'll give you know, two pound to pastor so-and-so and I'll give one pound fifty you know, online there. Uh, I'm not going to say who this preacher is that I know, but he shared this with me. <laughs> I don't know how this works and I don't think he knows how it works because you know how online works. These people take commissions. These, uh, you know, online uh, banks and stuff. But this preacher shared with me that he has a, a donor, somebody that gives to him every month, a penny a month. A penny a month. <laughs> it's just weird, okay? 
So we're not talking about, well, you know, I've got 100 ministries and I give them all 10 pence a month. No, an abundance for every good work. Because that's how we're meant to be and live. That's, and you say, well, how do we get that? Isaiah 60 is what that's describing. That's what it's, it's not about, and listen, I'm going to say this to you, and I need to say this, and we'll close with this. This is not about so that preachers, pastors, evangelists, TV evangelists, TV Christian channels can have money in abundance. This is for every believer. This is for every believer. It doesn't say that Moses and Aaron and some of the leaders, they went up to the Egyptians and says, give me your jewellery. It says every, every wife, every, every wee woman in Israel went up to her neighbour. God's favour, God's blessing, the abundance of the sea, the wealth of the nations is for every believer. Amen. And we all need to be walking in Isaiah chapter 60, Psalm 112, all these things. Not just so that you and I can have a, a nicer car than the guy next door. Not just so that we can live in bigger houses and have fancy clothes. You can enjoy all those things, yeah, because you're the, the, the people of God, you should. But here's the key reason. is because kingdom wealth is for the kingdom. Amen? It's for furthering God's kingdom. And it's, it's a great advert to folks to say, you know what? God blesses his people. So why don't you come in and be one of them? It, it, you say, oh, you know... Do we really think that Jesus, I'm going to preach off again, so I need to stop you, but do we really think that Jesus picked 12 disciples, who some of them were businessmen, one was a tax collector, so he was wealthy. And went up to him and says, follow me. And they all went, oh yeah, uh, I want to be a, a wandering hobo with no money and a, and a family back to feed, but I'll just ignore them. Do we really think that when, when they looked at Jesus and he said, follow me, they're thinking, well, whatever he has, whatever he walks in, whatever he functions in, whatever he's aligned with, is a whole lot better deal than I've got right now. And we need to start seeing ourselves as blessed, favoured, and, and that includes financially. So the Lord bless you folks. And it's not just a message on money. It's not just a message on your prosperity. It's a simple Realization that Isaiah chapter 60 is the paradigm that God wants us to walk in. Because remember one key thing before I close, and this time I, I am closing. God didn't say to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. You're going to be the, uh, you know, you're going to be the, 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 the top guy. You're going to be the GRUing of your day. He said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you so you'll be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing is what we're talking about. The Lord bless you, folks.